0: Today, I would like to speak to you about marriage. I want to submit to you. The world itself has tried to distort more than most things. It is in marriage that societies are formed. It is through marriage that the world gets to really see God in a way that nothing else portrays him. See in the Bible. It actually says that marriage is one of the primary means of how God communicates the gospel of how he gives the message of love that he has for us as humanity. We're going to talk a little bit about that here today. That is the mystery of marriage that Paul talks about. But also we're going to talk about how to have a fruitful marriage, how to have a marriage that would actually produce children that are spiritually on the same level as they ought to be as Yeshua equally yoked with Yeshua. We must understand what the highest purpose of marriage is if we want to have a marriage that is fruitful. Let's begin with reading here in Ephesians 5, verse 31. He says the following, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right. So for us to understand, like, what's the purpose of marriage? Let's as the one who gave marriage, God himself in Genesis, the perhaps the first thing he gave humanity was marriage. And then what is that marriage supposed to be about? I want to submit to you that marriage, as Paul calls it, a mystery. A profound mystery, he says in Ephesians 5.32, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So when we think about marriage, you know, we typically think about a couple who's married. But Paul says something unexpected. He says, marriage is not what you think. It's more than what you think. It is about Christ and his bride. In other words, our marriages on earth are supposed to be pictures where when the world sees our marriage and if our marriage is biblical in the ways that the Bible prescribes it ought to be, then they ought to be reminded of God's love for his bride, his people, as we as humans ought to model that love out as we treat one another. And though Then when you put this in the forefront and understand that, wow, marriage actually from the beginning, Adam and Eve marriage was supposed to be about communicating to the whole world, the love of God. Then it means that you have to live your life, live your marriage with a purpose. Number one, not just not about my happiness, not about, oh, I want to have a, you know. Happily ever after, kind of romantic thing, and and and, and, and or, or it's about having all the children in the world. Like those are all God-given blessings. However, the primary, most important purpose of marriage is simply to glorify God's kingdom. If you aren't happy, if you have no children, if you don't feel fulfilled, the bigger question is is does your marriage glorify God's kingdom? Because perhaps in glorifying God's kingdom, that is actually where true happiness, true fulfillment and children that are raised to be righteous will come from. It won't come in any other way than having a primary purpose. It's about glorifying his kingdom so we can have marriages that aren't just lasting that aren't but are actually meaningful and fruitful for his kingdom. And so in that sense, it's so important for us to have that at the forefront of when we want to enter covenant with someone. Is that person going to be able to have that objective as I have that objective? Or is that person going to keep me back? Christ as individuals came to us like before forgetting marriage for a moment when we were, you know, as individuals, he came to us and says, you pick up your cross and follow me. And it is in the picking of the cross that we recognize where that leads, because when he said that, right, we know what he did. He picked up his cross. He went and he died for his bride. That is the message of the gospel. So the ultimate demonstration of love is to give your life up for someone else, to die for someone else. And now he says, "You die. Pick up your cross. A cross leads to death. Lay down everything you want, your happiness, your desires, your fulfillment, what what you think is good for you, and live for me instead. And in that way, in that sense, for living for His kingdom." that will be now your purpose that is what it means to follow he says the one who's not willing to pick up his cross is not worthy to be his disciple there's no two ways about it you you either don't pick up your cross and you live for yourself or you pick up your cross and you live for him god is not supposed to just be the secondary hobby i have my entertainment for sunday no he is supposed to be your life and he will be the life of every true christian like you can call yourself a Christian, you call yourself whatever you want, but a true believer will have God at the forefront and have God be their lives, thinking, breathing Him. And so now when you come together with someone else, it shouldn't be a shock that the objective doesn't change, that we now together pick up our cross to follow Him, that we together live lives to glorify Him and that now our marriage has that objective. And so now God actually comes and he speaks to I want to speak for a moment to the wives and then a moment to the husbands, some of the things that he calls us to. He speaks to wives in Ephesians 524. He says now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right. So in our modern culture, this is not popular. Uh, there is this hesitancy over submission to a husband. But what does it really mean? It doesn't mean that the husband sits back and bosses his wife around or the wife just does everything that the husband says. It's not about that. It's about understanding that God instituted rules in the household, that there is a husband that is supposed to be the priest, the leader, spiritual head of the household and a wife is to submit to that leadership. That doesn't mean that she doesn't have brains and isn't able to make decisions. Absolutely. Like I what I one of the things I cherish most about my wife is the fact that she's smart and spiritually mature and can help me make decisions and can have my back. And then she, uh, by the way, desires. She loves to follow my leadership because That is what God has placed in her. She has a desire to submit to her husband. If her husband is a biblical husband, a godly husband, a husband that desires to step into spiritual leadership and lead spiritually and see God's will above his own and make sacrifices and do some of the things that we're going to talk about more now. But as for now, the wife submits. And when the world sees her submission, They're reminded of, wow, the leadership of Christ and the submission of the church of God, of his people to him and how that relationship is healthy and godly. A husband who desires a wife that is godly should himself walk out godly and a a wife that seeks a husband that is godly should walk out godly herself. That is what it means to be equally yoked. And so we have to first of make sure that we are fulfilling everything. We are in our own lives as individuals before we seek a spouse and even desire to ask God for a spouse that could be that could be uh, godly. Now he speaks to husbands and God says the following. He says husbands, Ephesians 525, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Hold up a second husbands love your wives to the degree that christ loved the church that is an incredible standard of love that is like the highest love that there is the the love that he has for us he says husbands you love your wives that way that is a high call for a husband but yet that is expected of the husband and what is that love that Yeshua gave himself up for his people. What did his people do that they that this was a great love? They put him on the cross. They they their sins were the very thing that he had to die for, that he was the reason that he died. And he said he went to joy to the cross for her, for his people. And so as husbands, we ought to love our wives even when they reject, even when they when they have sinned against us, even when that sin is the very thing that could cause us to die. We should die for her with pleasure. That is literally the love that Christ had has for his people and that we are commanded to have for our wives like it is what it is. And you say, Peter, I don't like that. Well, the marriage is not for you. Ephesians 5.26, he says that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. See, I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that it is the husband who is now the spiritual head and leader of the household, who ultimately will be the one who spiritually leads in nourishing, just as Christ nourishes us, the husband nourishes, his, nourishes, his, nourishes the wife, and that means that there is a spiritual leadership in nourishment. That is, he, the, the husband, should teach his wife the word, should be able to not just be spiritually passive but active in the household, leading Bible studies and so forth. And so, brothers and sisters, this is a type of of marriage that demands sacrifice, as you can hear. And there is no other marriage. This is what marriage is at its essence. And if we cannot have sacrifice be at the forefront, what will end up happening is we will find ourselves unhappy because you'd think that sacrifice would make you unhappy. It is actually when you are selfish in a marriage that there is unhappiness that creeps in. And so our culture doesn't understand sacrifice. Our culture says whenever you feel unhappy, you just leave. But that's not what God said. Yeshua said, for example, in Matthew 19, verse nine, I say to whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And then look at what the disciples said. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man of his wife, it is better not to marry. It is better not to marry is what they think. They say, look, man, like Yeshua, if if you're telling us that we can't just get rid of our wives whenever we feel unhappy for any reason, then I'd rather not be married. And that's what they concluded there. And yet Yeshua's stance does not change. If you want to make a covenant, you better stick to that covenant. If you want to be married, you better be willing to make great sacrifices. Speaking to men and women now. And if you feel like you'd rather want to live a selfish life for yourself, having your own needs above everyone else's, but the marriage is absolutely not for you. You should never enter it because you will do nothing but waste the time of the other person, because when you make a covenant with someone else, there is no other covenant but a biblical covenant. When you say I enter marriage with you, there's no other way than to do it the biblical way. Even if you're an unbeliever, their marriage is built on the foundation of the word of God. And if you do not follow the rules, in other words, do what is expected of you in marriage, whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you think about it or not, it remains there. That sacrifice must be at the center of it all. And now let's talk about how he speaks regarding becoming one flesh. This is really the mystery of marriage that Paul Uh, speaks about and he says in verse 31 therefore a man shall leave his father mother hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh now I actually think that there's something physically and spiritually happening there that they become one flesh on a physical level of course we know that when there's that intimacy but then there's also on a spiritual level a joining together to become one And then he says this mystery is profound. It's a mystery. It's it's above our ways of understanding. But he says, I'm saying, though, that it refers to Christ and the church. There is no greater example of unity as between Christ and his bride. And there is no greater example of unity as between a husband and a wife. Have you have you noticed how when people get married, suddenly their unity, they become like one in their and how they think and then their bodies become joined together. They are like one person, right? And so that is how it's supposed to be between Christ and his people, between Christ even and and us, that when we receive the Holy Spirit, we become one with him just as a husband and a wife becomes one. That's the picture that's that's communicated that that we think like he does, that we walk like he does, that we are as he is in all things. And that's why whenever there's theology that calls us to not walk like he is, that should be like weird because that goes in contrast to the model that marriage communicates where we ought to be as our husbands and our wives are in unity with them and in unity. Therefore, now with Christ. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, it says this for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Of course, this refers to sexual intimacy, and he's speaking about this. He's saying do not neglect, do not deprive one another of this, except if there's mutual agreement for a time. This is a commandment. This is a commandment. It's very important uh, because when you uh, neglect one another in this manner, there is more temptation that come in because the that the, that fulfillment that is supposed to come through a husband or a wife alone is not being provided for. And in that sense, that's a biblical desire that God has placed for a marriage. And so God made it. God gave it for a reason so that the couple can be closer than ever before and so that that intimacy can be fostered over time, over their entire lifetimes. And then so in that same way, our sisters now I want to submit to you that just as we consider a spouse, we consider a spouse based off whether they are equally yoked with us, whether spiritually there is a similar level of maturity, whether they can run the race with us, whether they, so they would not hold us back spiritually, so that they have the same objective of glorifying and building God's kingdom as we do. All of these things are very important, but that is also a mirror now of how when Christ comes back, he's coming back for an equally yoked bride. He's coming back for a bride who is, going to look like he does, who walked like he walks, who seems like he is. See, there is a bride that he is coming back for who worships the father as he did in spirit and truth, who walks in righteousness and holiness, who wants to keep the commandments of the father that he has given his people and also to walk in the Holy Spirit, to cleanse the leper, bring those out of captivity into freedom, to cause out the demon, to heal the sick, to walk in the spiritual gifts as Christ did and to, to be a light in this world. Those are the things that he is looking for in his bride. Are you an equally yoked bride? That is an important question that we always have to ask ourselves, looking at him through the lens, the mirror of the Bible and looking at our lives and asking him, God, Where can I be better in looking more like you? Because that's the purpose of any disciple and the bride of Christ. But now when it comes to being unequally yoked, you know, I'm always confused. You know, when when people when Christians talk and they're single, they're looking for a spouse and they're saying, hey, uh, can I date this unbeliever? right? Like, it sounds like obvious, like, oh, yeah, can, can I date this unbeliever? Like, it's just, you know, maybe that can work somehow. The, the moment that that is even proposed, what it tells me is that you're not serious about God, are you? Like, just being real here, like you're, you're not really serious about God. You're not really serious about having given your everything to Him for you to even consider someone who is not a believer because my first thing is like, how am I going to worship God with someone who doesn't? How am I going to build his kingdom with someone who doesn't build his kingdom? How am I going to 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 be in ministry with someone who isn't? And I'm not just talking about full time or like vocational. I'm talking about the ministry we're all supposed to be in. The ministry of reconciliation, setting the captives free. How am I going to do that if they're not? How can I worship them if they're enemies of God? Because the Bible says anyone who does not have the light in them and who does not worship him and does not serve his kingdom is condemned already. How can I build... His kingdom with someone who's condemned already. And so, brothers and sisters, you will, if you're unequally yoked, marry, if you're a believer with an unbeliever, you will be unable to fulfill the primary purpose of marriage to its full potential. Because it takes two believers to bring the full potential of what it can mean to glorify God to a marriage. And so, if you are, though, in such a marriage where you're married to an unbeliever, of course, God has mercy and grace. I know that there are many circumstances of life that can lead to that. And it's not our fault always. And when that happens, what we do is we do our we make sure that our and our role is fulfilled, that we live a life sacrificially to God, that we uh, bring our side to the table. Now, we love our spouse, even if they don't love God the way they should. We love our spouse in ways they don't deserve, because that's what Christ has done for us. And so lastly, I want to speak to you about the fruits of marriage. See, then I want to submit that the number one fruit of marriage is perhaps most obvious. If God grants you to have children, that is going to be the direct fruit of a marriage physically and spiritually. and. I want to submit to you that more than anyone else in life, your children will be watching you. Remember how we talked about how marriage is supposed to be a picture of, of Christ and his bride. There is no one else who will witness that picture more than your children because while you can fool people, the public, people outside the household and saying everything is all right, you know, we love one another. It is when it comes to the household itself, your children, they see everything and they are always watching their mom and dad, their example. And remember then now that the marriage model, which is supposed to give and which is supposed to communicate Christ's relationship with his people and his bride. If that marriage model is disrupted, distorted is, uh, one that is not a good example of love, what the child sees, remember, it's programmed into a child to look at the mom and dad's marriage and perceive God through that lens, perceive God through the father figure, and perceive God's people through the mother figure. Because remember, that is the picture. And so when the father is not there for the mother and does not love the mother and, you know, cheats on the mother, uh, betrays the mother and so forth, what the child sees without even realizing on a spiritual and subconscious level is how God is, how the heavenly father is That the heavenly father is not trustworthy, that the heavenly father betrays, that the heavenly father um, cheats and steals and so forth. And that's why. Our marriages is is not just about us, it's not, you know, you being um, exclusive to your spouse, you being an honor of your spouse and treating them well it's more about just even your spouse as much as it should even just be enough to be about them. It's even more about the children as well, because they will be directly impacted by how you treat them. And so if the, if the husband mistreats the wife, the child gets a distorted view of the heavenly father. And if the wife mistreats the husband, the child gets a distorted view of the church the bride of Christ, the fellow believers. And that would be a child who oftentimes would struggle to find fellowship, struggle to associate with other believers, work with other believers, find, you know, be, be, with, be, be with believers. When the mother hasn't fulfilled her will, that can lead to that. Does that mean that that's always the cause? Absolutely not. But I am just warning you here of some of the dangers our children can make their own decisions and it can be even when they grow up in a wonderful household that has given them everything they need they can still decide to rebel and that is one thing but if they rebel let it let it not let it be that it's their decision and what they want following their own will but let it not be because of how we have mistreated our spouses, how we have failed to be a good model of what it means to be a disciple to them. Let our hands be clean as God entrusts our children to us and as God entrusts a spouse to us, a husband or a wife, a virtuous woman who can find that is a gift from God and a man of God who is after the Lord's heart Wow, what a blessing that is to any wife. So brothers, and sisters, let's consider marriage in light of how the Bible considers it. Let us love like he loved. Let us submit to our husbands and let us ultimately have a primary purpose of building his kingdom in our marriage. Sit down with your wife, sit down with your husband and ask, are we living our marriage? in building his kingdom as our primary objective. is Are we doing that with our finances? Are we doing that with how we raise our children? Are we doing that with the house we buy? Are we doing that with the job we are we pick? Are we doing that with how, how we are involved at our fellowship? Are we doing that with what is it that you do in life? That kingdom of the Lord has to be what drives your ultimate decision making, because, man, I want to stand before him with my wife one day and hear, well done, my good and faithful servants, I have given you little, but with this, you have invested it and brought forth an amazing investment. Enter the joy of my father's presence. That is what I desire to hear. And that's what I what I hope for you to hear when you stand before him one day with your spouse. I thank you for partnering with us because your partnership allows us to continue to make these teachings and put them out there. I want to say a special thank you to all our partners, many, many blessings and shalom to you.